Well, good morning. It's an honor to be here worshiping with you, worshiping God uh, in his house today and in his church. It's uh, just a pleasure to be here. I appreciate you braving, braving the weather. I know it's a little nasty out there, so it's, it's amazing to be here with you, and it's amazing uh, to be able to open the scriptures with you. Hey, if you could um, open your Bibles, if, whether you have it at your own copy or whether you have it on your phone, we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 3 today. So if you want to open to 2 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to open today by reading uh, this entire chapter. And as Pastor Frank told you while you're turning there, we've been in a series about the essentials of your faith, the essentials of your faith. And I hope that this has blessed you. I got really excited when he told us we were going to, told me we were going to be going through this. And as he said, I've been assigned to preach the essential of the word of God, the essential word of God. So we're going to look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. Let's read that chapter together. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Have nothing to do with such people. They are, kind of, they are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control of gullible women, who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Just as James and Jimbres opposed Moses, so also these teachers oppose the truth. They are men of depraved minds who, as far, who, as far as their faith is concerned, are rejected. But they will not get very far, because as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, and sufferings. What kind of things happened to me in Antioch and Lystrium? And persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned. And know that those who are, whom you have learned it, and how from infancy you have known from the Holy Scriptures, which make you able and wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You know, this letter was written by the Apostle Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, a minister of Jesus Christ, who was brought to be the leading missionary of the Christian church along with the disciples. And he wrote this letter to a young man that he met during these missionary journeys named Timothy. Timothy was a man of great faith. He was a man that built a foundation of God in his life. And as the scriptures say, he built it from actually his mother and his grandmother who raised him on God. So Paul meets Timothy during this journey and he takes him under his wing and he makes him his disciple. And he teaches him the things of God. He teaches him the things of Christ. And so in this journey, Paul raises up Timothy to be a missionary. And he wrote this letter for encouragement to Timothy to show him from the scriptures, 
to encourage him to lead men, to raise up godly leaders, to make the gospel explode through the city of Ephesus and bring up the Christian church. Paul writes from encouragement. He writes for endurance. But he also gives great warnings. Look at these warnings. There will be terrible times in the last day. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of monies, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient, and the list goes on and on. He gives great warnings to Timothy that the last days there will be rebellion, there will be evil men walking among him, that there will be people who are deceitful, who take advantage of others, and who suppress the knowledge and the truth of God, who will suppress his word. I think you can look around our climate today and our culture today, and I think you can probably point to many cases of that. I think you could see that very clearly, what's happening today. You know, the, the post-millennial, if you, if you guys understand eschatology, because the end, the end times, there's three different views. There's a pre-millennial, and post-millennial, and a millennial. The post-millennial believes that the gospel will consume the earth and will take over the earth, and the earth will get better and better and better. But the premillennial sees that the earth will continue to turn from God, will continue to rot away until Jesus finally comes back. That's just kind of a superficial overview. I think we can kind of see what direction it's going. And I hate to be doom and gloom, but I want to give these warnings just like, like Paul gives Timothy. We are seeing it in our lives today. But this should come really as no shock. The Word of God has always, always been under attack. Even from the beginning, the Word of God has been challenged. Turn with me to Genesis 2. Way back to the beginning, Genesis 2. God gives his first word to mankind here in this chapter. The very first words God gives to man. His first creation, Adam. And the Lord, and we're going to be in Genesis 2, verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat it, you will certainly die. Direct, clear commands. Then by God's grace, he saw that man was not profitable on his own. He brought up a woman. He created woman and brought them together. Verse 23, this is how bones of my bones and flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And this is why a man leaves his father and mother and unified to his wife, and they have become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and felt no shame. You have a picture of harmony, beauty, and God's intended creation here. And here's where his word comes under attack, the infamous Genesis chapter 3. Verse 1, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? There's the first attack. A jab of blurring of truth. It's taking truth and making it gray. It's taking truth and not making it absolute. It's causing confusion to truth. Read it again. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We, the woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, for you must not touch it or you will die. So there's an affirmation of truth. Eve gives the affirmation of what God commanded her. And here we see rebellion. The serpent said, you will not certainly die. 
For God knows that when you eat from the tree, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What do we see here? We see a blurred truth. We see direct rebellion. And then we see self-glorification. We see self-exoneration. We see selfishness. When you eat from in the tree, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God yourself. This is the first attack on God's word. And this attack has manifested itself all throughout creation. As you know, from this point forward, the curse falls on mankind. The curse falls on humanity. We have a world that with pain and suffering because of what took place in Genesis 3. And so what we see here is the first attack on God's word. There is no knowledge without God. God has revealed himself. This right here is not just a book of rules. It's not just a book of commands. It's not just a book of do's and don'ts. It is God's revealing of his eternal knowledge from eternity into writings that have been preserved forever. This is his knowledge from eternity that has been revealed, that has been given to us, that has been given so that everyone may know God and may know who he is and his will for life, his will for mankind. But we see today rebellion and turning against God's word left and right. I'm sure you guys saw executive orders that are direct, are in direct um, disobedience to creation, to male and female sexual identity. We've seen executive orders signed that are not only advocating it, but they're forcing it. Forcing it on athletics, forcing it in culture, directly against creation, directly against God's word. But I think that the jabs from what I've seen are not just coming from outside of the Christian community. It's not just coming from outside of our faith. It's actually coming from within the faith. We see the lines being blurred in Christianity today. I don't know if you've heard of this term. It's probably not a relatively new term, it's, but it's growing. It's called progressive Christianity. It's the idea that since culture's progressing, it's the idea that since we are progressing to new ideas and new ideologies, that God is also progressing and that God is also open to new ideas and new ideas of, of ideologies. But folks, we know that this is false, we know that God's truth is eternal, that God is not changing, that from our beginning to what it will be our end, God will always be the same. He has given his truth for life. We flourish in his truth, but this is not what's happening today. Now, parents, you may find this, what I'm about to say, a little bit silly, but you need to understand what's happening right now. There are so many YouTube pages now of progressive Christian sites who are advocating this new movement. For example, there are pages that tell you, that teach people that the writings from the prophets, the men that God raised in the Old Testament to speak the warnings of judgment for disobeying God to the Israelites, their ideas are, well, since culture has progressed, and since ideas have progressed, they were just doing the best that they could at the time. They were just speaking from, you know, their own knowledge of what they understood at that time. And now that we're in a new era and a new day, we, we've learned a lot more. And they were speaking from the truth of God. They were speaking from his word, his truth, 
His eternal truth. We don't progress from that. We, progress, we don't progress from the truth that's set from eternity. Or here's another one. New perspectives on Paul. When Paul condemns sexual immorality or he condemns any kind of sexual fornication or homosexuality or things like that, when he condemns that, the ideas of this movement is, well, Paul culturally just didn't understand what was going on. He understood what was going on at the time, but now we're in a different culture. And so now that this is a different time, we can have a new perspective on Paul. Folks, it's clear. The Bible's clear. Creation was designed, man, woman. There's no confusion. You have dignity in your life as you were created, as you were designed. God knew you from the beginning. He knew you from eternity. He's all-knowing, and he gives you dignity, purpose in your life for who you are and who he's created you to be. But this is not what culture is telling our kids. This is not what culture is telling us today. So we have a life now with blurred truths and blurred lines How are we going to find truth? We find truth from God's Word, from the Scriptures, from the Bible. This is We don't have knowledge without God. God is knowledge. He's given us knowledge. You are not just cosmic accidents. You're not just stardust bumping into Starbust. You're not the result of some Big Bang, and your ancestors aren't fish. You were designed creatively and designed by God with dignity and purpose in your life, and you find that in his truth, in his eternal word. Listen, we don't condemn the things like homosexuality or transgenderism. I'm just just bringing those two up because it's a hot topic nowadays. We don't condemn those things because we hate that. We don't condemn those things because from our soul we hate it. We condemn it because God says it's wrong, and we love God, and we love him, and we know Nothing good comes outside of him. So if he speaks it, we believe it. So this is where we argue from. We argue from a source of truth. Arguing from human emotions and how you feel at the time can lead you off the path of truth. So my goal today is to show us why the word of God is essential. There's three elements I want to look at the word of God being essential in your life today. It's the essential of how he has made himself known to you to be right with him. He's made himself known how you can be right with him. His essential truth is inspired from Holy, the Holy Spirit that's inspired from him. And the essential truth that he has created what a good work is. We know what good is because God knows what good is. We know what good is because God created good. So let's go to... 2 Timothy, back to our main text, chapter 3. We're going to read verse 15 together. 2 Timothy, chapter 3, verse 15. And from infancy, you have known that the Holy Scriptures, which are available, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, if you look back up to verse 14, Paul refers to things that Timothy had learned from the Scriptures. And he also shows Timothy's family had encouraged him. They built him up. Like we said earlier, we saw that his mother from earlier texts, his mother and his grandmother, raised him up on the faith. And you'll find in earlier parts of the book that they did that. But they raised Timothy on the scriptures. They built him up from the Old Testament writings. 
And these Old Testament writings, what does he say they did? They made Timothy wise to salvation. They made Timothy wise to how he could be right with God. They made Timothy wise to forgiveness of sins, his forgive, to be forgiven for sin. See, we have all disobeyed in some way. We have all sinned. We've all fallen short, short of God's glory. But God has never hidden how to be right with him, in, even in the Old Testament. It's always been by one thing. It's always been, even in the face of his hatred for sin, even in the face of his hatred for rebellion, it's always been by one thing, and that's faith. It's never been due to works of the law. It's never been to being a perfect person or a good, even a good person. It's never been a system to bribe the creator with good deeds or any moral standing that we can boast from. It's been from faith and faith alone. Paul quotes from the prophet Habakkuk in Galatians chapter 3, verse 11. You don't have to turn there. You can just listen along. Now it's evident that no one is justified for God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. Romans chapter 3, verse 20. Because the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. The law doesn't earn our salvation. We don't earn our salvation by keeping the law. We earn our salvation because we, or we earn our salvation because of faith in God, faith in Jesus Christ. The law is made to expose us of our sin. The law was created to show us how good God is. The Ten Commandments, they were a picture of who God was, who God is, and who was delivered to Moses on the mountain of Sinai. The law is not a measuring stick for us to boast in, it was to show the, the character of our almighty God and to expose us of our sin. The only thing we bring to the party is sin. God brings the forgiveness. How does he do that? It's through his son, God incarnate, Jesus Christ. God did something over 2,000 years ago for us all to be right with him, for us all to be in good standing with him. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to the earth, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, God in the flesh, fully man, fully God in the flesh, who knew no sin, who lived the perfect life that none of, you, none of us could live, followed God's law, kept God's law perfectly and sinlessly, and he was judged and condemned and sent to a cross. He was nailed to the cross, nails driven through his hands and feet. He was beaten, stabbed, whipped, pierced, and a, thorn, a crown of thorns placed on his head. Every pain, every ounce of pain, every bit of shame he felt was for one thing. It was for your punishment for sin. It says if you stand in front of the jury and the judge reaches out your prosecutions and he reads out your sentence, but he says you're free to go because someone you've never met or someone you've never known stepped in and took your punishment for you. So while you're guilty, you are forgiven. How is this given to us? It's by first God's mercy, God's love, his common grace love for everyone. He gives that call. He gives that grace. But it's by faith you receive it. It's by your belief and faith in Jesus Christ. Now, is this simply saying the prayer, just tipping the hat to God, well done? 
No. God shows us what true, genuine faith looks like. Listen to Psalm 51, verse 1. You don't have to turn there. Be gracious to me, God. This is David pouring out his heart to God. Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithfulness, according to your greatness of your compassion. Wipe out my wrongdoings. Wash thoroughly from my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my wrongdoings, and my sin is constantly before me. Against you, you only I have sinned. And done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. David is sorrowful over his sin. He sees his sin and he is sorrowful. He's crying out to God for mercy from the pit of his soul. Why? Because he sees the holiness of God and he sees the glory of Christ and he sees how perfect and beautiful he is. And then he looks back at himself and he sees his sin. This is the Holy Spirit working on David, exposing of his sin, bringing him to the beauty of Christ. And when we see that, that's what's called repentance. It's a turning from sin. It's a changing your mind about sin. It's seeing the things that God loves and loving the things that God loves and hating the things he hates. And it's a drive to turn from sin and to rush to him. First John tells us he's faithful. If we confess our sins, he's faithful to forgive us. And he forgives us why? Not because of anything we've done, but for what Christ has done. It's we, we see Christ, we hear the gospel, and we see our sin, and we repent and turn from our sin, and we believe in Jesus Christ. We deny ourselves, and we take up our cross, and we follow him. This isn't what culture tells you today. Culture tells you it's all about you. That it's all about your self-glorification, that you be your best. But Christianity tells us something different. It tells deny yourself. It tells us put yourself down and look to Christ. Throw yourself to Christ. Quite frankly, that should take a lot of pressure off of you, right? When Christ is the one that paid this debt, when Christ is the one that carried the goodness that none of us can carry, this is good news. This is news for you and I to base our life on. God has made it no secret to how to be right with him because every one of us need to be right with him. Now, I know when we hear that term, you probably heard that term when you were young. I know I heard that term when I was younger, and I thought that meant just be good. Just be a good person. You want to be right with God? Just be a good person. There's no one good. No, not one, as the prophet Isaiah says. No, not one. There is only Christ who is good. And God has made a way for you to be right with him, to throw yourself to the one who is good for you, to repent from sin and trust Christ. And this is the single most important thing that you can do with your life. This is the single most important thing you can do. Paul tells Timothy to hold fast from what he learned. Hold fast to what he had built his foundation on. He built his life on the scriptures first. His faith in Christ, his faith in the promises of God. If you're here this morning and you have not repented and trusted Christ, I beg and plead that you do that, that you make it the most important thing that you could do with your life. The riches of Christ are immeasurable. We can't even begin to fathom the riches of his glory and who he is. And yet this king came to the earth to take the form of a servant and die on a cross for you and I. 
It's amazing. And God has made that truth known by his word and in his word. 2 Timothy, verse 16, says this. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, and righteousness. What a great segue. Why do we believe what we believe? Why do we believe that, God, that the Bible is true? Because all scripture is breathed out by God. It comes from a Greek word, theanoustos, breathed out by God. Our students are probably slumping in their seats right now as they've heard this for three weeks now. Theonoustos, breathed out by God. His truth was breathed out. Every letter of Scripture comes from the mind and the divine direction of God. Whether it be his verbal voice spoken directly to Moses in the Old Testament, delivering the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, or whether it be God speaking through the prophets, his, his words coming directly from their lips, or whether it be Jesus Christ coming to the earth, God in the flesh, bringing his teachings, delivering to the disciples, John, Peter, and later Paul. They would write from the gift of the Holy Spirit. They pushed the pen. God was the author. Listen to John chapter 14, verses 25 and 26. This is Jesus talking to his disciples on one of the last nights they would be together. He would shortly be crucified after this. And so he's given them final counsel moving forward. He says this, These things I have spoken to you while remaining with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, for whom the Father will send me in my name, he will teach you all things and remind you of all that I have said. Isn't that good to know that the Holy Spirit is there to help you remember and teach you all the things that he's said? The Holy Spirit of God was with the apostles as well as the Old Testament prophets as they drove these words to paper, as they collected these documents, these sacred writings of who God was. It all came from the Holy Spirit. Nothing was from their own will. Nothing was from their own intentions. It was God the author. Now, you see their characteristics in their writings. You see their personalities in their writings. For example, the Gospel of Matthew. Gospel of Matthew, he, his intentions for writing that gospel was to his fellow Jewish brethren. He wanted the Jewish nation to know that the Messiah has come. The Messiah in the Old Testament that was prophesied. Isaiah 53, this suffering servant that would come, he's here. He came. That's what Matthew's direction was for his writings. Gospel of John. John wanted to show the divinity of Christ. That Christ was not just merely a man, that he was God. He was the God-man. He was God in the flesh. And because of that, him taking sin on the cross makes it, it enables us to have our penalty paid for. So we see these men's characteristics. We see what they are doing, but not one line of scripture is from a fallible man's opinion. But rather, every line of scripture was from the good counsel of God that he's had in eternity. He's not restricted to time like you or I. He's had this from eternity, and he is the divine author from every line of Scripture. Listen to what Paul says, Romans chapter 3, verse 4. Far from it, rather be, God must prove to be true, and every man a liar. Look, if you and I write a book, you can critique it. Why? Especially if I write it. 
You can critique it. You'll see errors. If I write it, you'll see grammar errors. You'll have a lot to critique. You'll have a lot to say. You can disagree with the opinions I have. But God is the perfect author. He is God from eternity. He is God to the end. His divine authorship is perfect and infallible. So what's that mean for you and I? Why is that essential? It means you and I can 100% put our faith and trust in the scriptures because our holy creator divinely inspired the writers that collected them. 40 different writers, three different continents, all inspired by the Holy Spirit. We can trust scripture in everyday issues like grief from a loved one lost or depression or anxiety. We can look to the scriptures and find the dignity that God has in our life and that pain and suffering is only a momentary thing in eternity when you're with God in heaven. That these early testament Christians who faced persecution, why did they face the troubles in their day? Because of the inheritance that was placed for them for God from God in heaven, for what Jesus Christ, because they loved him so much, they were willing to die. They were willing to get burned at the stake by the Roman Empire. And so we can look at that today and see our own struggles. We can see we can persevere through this because God has given us the Holy Spirit and he's given us hope and perseverance outside of this life to press to. Things such as temptation, sexual temptation, it's a tough one. Every one of us have faced it in our lives. Every one of us will face it, whether it be through pornography, whether it be through fornication, whether it be through social media. Social media is becoming even more sexually promiscuous every single day. But God, in his ultimate counsel, has given us a way to look away from it, to fight it, to see him. Colossians 3 tells us, uh, Paul writes, to set your mind on things of Christ. Set your mind on things above. Why? Because the gift of the Holy Spirit can do that. You have power over your sin. You can have power over your sin. And it comes from God's truth. He's given us ability to have power. We don't mourn in things of culture. We don't grieve over things we see in culture from our own grief, such as riots. We've seen local businesses this summer get burned down who were innocent in the line of fire of protest. And on the flip side, we see our capital being stormed, our very own republic being challenged by rebellious people. And we don't cry and mourn for that from our own hearts. We cry and mourn for that because we see the glory of Christ and we see how beautiful he is. And we can look at that and say, that's wrong. Why? Because God has said it was wrong. We can look to abortion and say, we don't like this. Wit is wrong. Why? Because God says it's wrong. Because God says life is precious. He's given us divine revelation that we can meditate on, that we can pray over, that we can encourage one another. He's given us absolute truths. Truth is relative nowadays. The atheist community argues this, that truth is relative, that there is no grounding for good morals and values. In fact, I encourage you to go on YouTube, and I know I reference YouTube a lot, parents, don't, don't laugh at me, but you can find an amazing debate between the great apologist William Lane Craig, 
great defender of God's truth, and one of the leading atheists, and this is, this is a little dated, but a couple years ago, but a leading atheist at the time, Sam Harris. And the debate topic was, where do moral, what is the, the grounding for morals and values? Sam Harris's argument, society, a flourishing society is the grounding. And in Sam's defense, I'm just kind of overviewing this, but the moral value and grounding for society is the flourishing of society. Rather, if a, if a society is flourishing, then there's grounds to look at that society and see how um, the morals and values are grounded. Adolf Hitler was one of the most powerful leaders this world has ever seen. Some would say he flourished in what he did. Some would say the society he built was an empire that was flourishing. Adolf Hitler also convinced people that it was okay and right to kill a human race just because of their race. And in the result of that, millions of Jews were slaughtered. And people saw that as good, the people he convinced. I'm not convinced that man can ground itself to good morals and values because when it becomes subjective, it becomes man's opinion, and man is fallible. William Lane Craig's argument Morals and values have grounded from God from eternity. We have moral values from the Ten Commandments, from God's law, because he says it's good, because he is the creator of all, because his knowledge is eternal. And we can ground our, our values to what God says because he's God, because he is creator, because his divine counsel is from eternity. If you keep digging down to morality, you can't help but get to God. God is eternal. His, his grounding, his knowledge, we don't have it without him. And he's given us absolute truths that we can build on from his word, from his word for eternity. God gives absolute truths to our life. And how do we know? Because his word is Holy Spirit inspired. He is the divine author. He pushed the pen. The, the writers pushed the pen to the paper, but he was the author. Finally, verse 17. One more verse I want to unpack. Uh, so that's 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 17. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Other translations say the man of God. Hey, and we've heard that term, right? We've heard that term. Somebody say maybe about their grandfather or their, their father or somebody like that. He's a man of God or even their pastor. We have a pastor who's a man of God, I believe. Certainly believe that. The man of God. Who is the man of God? In this context, the man of God is the man who's trained for ministry, a man who has built his life on the scriptures, a man who is trained in the truths of Jesus Christ and is ready to share that gospel truth and is ready and equipped to be the light in the world. Folks, that term does not have to be exclusive to just Christian ministers. You and I can all be men and women of God. He says earlier in, in the, the other verse that Scripture is profitable for teaching, correcting, and overall guidance. You know, the man of God, like I said, it's not just an exclusive to ministers. This is an exoneration of Christ. How do we become the men of, well, first of all, there is no truly men of God. We all have sin. But we become men and women who desire God and be like Christ that's when we see change in our lives. That's when we see desire for good. Look at what Ephesians chapter 4, 
verses 22 to 23 says, that in reference of your former way of life, you are to rid yourself of the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust and deceits, and that you are to be renewed in the spirits of your mind. A heart with a new desire is what Paul's writing. A new heart, a new desire that seeks the goodness of Christ. I read this verse earlier, but Colossians 3, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, if you have been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind to the things that are above, not to the things of this earth. The man of God that Paul calls us all to be is one that seeks not self-glorification, but seeks Christ, that seeks him. God has made it so we could be equipped for good works. We know what good works are because they come from his word. We know what Jesus commands, to love your neighbor. We treat people well because Jesus commands to love your neighbor. And when we follow God's law, when we mortify our sin and we kill things that are sinful in our life and we put them to death and we seek the goodness of Christ and we seek the riches of Christ, we see communion with God. We want to have good fellowship with God. We want to have good walking and a relationship with Christ Obey him. I know people may not want to hear that, but listen to what John chapter 15, four, excuse me, chapter 14, verse 15 says. This is what Jesus said to his disciples. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Try that on one of your friends. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And he will come to me and make home with him. Look at the communion here. Look at the communion here. Christ loved us. He died for us. And for what he did, we love him and we walk with him. Not for our own good, but for what we see that he did. We fall in love with the glory of Christ. And we fall in love with God. And because of that, we walk with him. No other religion is built on this. No other false religion is built on this. It's not built on a sacrificial love. All religions are built on your self-glorification and your self-glorification and to give and to get and to obtain your, with your own righteousness. But the God of the Bible sacrifices for us. He sacrifices for us by dying on the cross. And we sacrifice for him by turning from our lustful desires, by turning for our sinful desires and putting our faith and trust in him and trusting what he thinks is good and walking by what he thinks is good. What's that look like in your life? What communion do you have with obedience in God right now in your life? What are areas that you need to mortify and kill and look to Christ and walk to him? There's a few I can think of for me personally. Students, what are you seeing in your schools? Are you being tempted into things? Are you being peer pressured into things? Are you like the crowd or are you the salt of the earth? Think about it. Are there things in your life that need to be mortified? I would tell you this. Do it from a heart of Christ. Do it from seeing him and seeing his beauty and his glory. Look at what the psalmist says. David wrote many psalms. Look, listen to these psalms. Listen to the language that comes from him from following God. 
Psalm, verses, Psalm 1, verse 2, blessed is the person who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and his law he meditates on day and night. Psalm 119, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Psalm 119, 129, your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul complies with them. Listen to his joy, his delight. You read the Psalms, you see a lot of sorrow as well, but where's the delight and the joy? It comes from the law of God. It comes from his delight in walking with God. When you help that elderly lady walk across the street or when you let your neighbor borrow salt or sugar or borrow money or whatever you do when you help a friend through a, good time, through a hard time, why does that make you feel good? It's because God has made it good. And when we, when we seek his law and we seek after him and we walk with him, we walk in delight because we are walking with our creator. We see here a bond stronger than any, a marvelous love. And when we keep God's law and we seek the things in his eyes, just like Jesus told his disciples, we are loved by God and our response is to walk with God. We are graced to know what good is. We are graced to have a good, a grounding of what good is because God has revealed it to us. He's revealed it to us in his word. And we know what good is from eternity because of his word. You know, for me, when I truly fell in love with God, I've shared my testimony up here before. I've always believed that there was a God. I just didn't know who God was. I had no clue who Christ was. Didn't even know who Christ was till college. Heard the name, but I didn't know him. Came to Christ, but I truly fell in love with Christ, fell in love with God when I found out what this was about. When I found out that this was not just a rule book, that this is not just what the good people read, and like me, a rebellious teenager who didn't care about what he did or didn't care about who was hurt, just wanted what I wanted. I rebelled against this book because I thought that's what it was. This is God's word given to you. It's not just letters on a page. It is his counsel delivered. The God that has loved us from eternity, the God that sent his son to sacrifice and die for the sins of those. Sorry, I almost fell. The God that has sacrificed himself, that did it from eternity, he has loved you from eternity, that God has revealed himself here. He's given himself to you. There's no excuse for any of us never to know him because he's given us the grace to know him. We know him from his word. When I found out what theology was, and I found out, don't let that word scare you. Look, theology is not just some heady word that, that professor, Christian professors, theology is knowing God. Knowing who he is. For me, when I found out theology and I found out that this book was not just one linear story that told some cool story and if you believe it, good things happen for you. No, this is a circular story. This is a story of man's rebelling against God, but yet God loved him so much that he built Christ around it. This story is built all around Christ. Those Old Testament passages 
that points you to something like Isaiah 53 that tells you there will be a suffering servant to come. There will be someone to come who will bear your, your, your transgressions and by, your stri- by his stripes you'll be healed. That's not talking about just some mysterious person. That's Christ. God has promised Christ from the beginning. In the chapter, the infamous chapter as I call it, Genesis 3 where man fell. Listen to this. Verse 16. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe with painful to birth for children. But look before that. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. And he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. That's Christ. That's Christ. He will strike your heel. The serpent will strike Christ's heel by nailing him to the cross, but his head will be crushed by the power of Christ rising from the dead and making us all salvation to available to all. That's what this whole story is about. Why is God's word essential? Because he's made himself known. He's made himself known to you how to be right with him. He's given you absolute truths that we can build our life on. And his word is Holy Spirit inspired. He is the divine author. So I challenge you, think deeply about this book. If you had the picture that I had of what this Bible is, think again. It is God's revelation. It is the creator of the universe, the one who has had knowledge from the beginning, who's not restricted to time, who's outside of time and space. This is his knowledge given to you. It's his knowledge given to us how to live our lives, how to be right with him, how to walk with him. I pray that we all will see this as essential moving forward. And in the struggles we see in our life today, just look to the word. Look to his essential word of how to navigate and how to trust him fully and walk with him. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for making yourself known. You've made yourself known to us. You could have very simply ended it at the flood. You could have turned your back. You could have forsaked us. You could have left us. But you left Christ on the cross. You you forsook Christ on the cross, and you left him and walked from him and left him there. Why? For our sins, God, for our rebellion. And God, we thank you for your grace. I thank you not only for your common grace, for us to live, for us to be able to breathe, for us to have relationships, for us to enjoy life, but I thank you for your grace, for salvation, for you sending the one who's worthy enough to take our sins, bear our iniquities, and pay for our sin debt. I thank you for the gift of faith. I thank you for the gift of being able to even believe in Christ. Even though our natural heart will rebel in, you've given us the gift to believe. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your word, for revealing to us who you are, how to be right with you. I thank you for being just the divine author of these scriptures. I pray that everyone, of here, everyone leaves here today and builds, continues to build their life on your word. As Paul praised Timothy for doing in your word, God, I pray that we continue to build on your word. We 
build on the riches and the glory of Christ that we can't even imagine. And God, I pray that we persevere through this life from the scriptures. We encourage each other from the scriptures. And we meditate daily on your word. And oh, how you love us. And we love you, God. If there's anyone here today, Lord, who has not fully denied themselves and taken up their cross and accepted you, God, I pray that the Holy Spirit would move in their heart. It's no accident they're here. That tug on their heart that they feel is not an accident. Lord, that is you. As your word says, no one comes to the Father unless you draw me. You feel that tug on your heart. That is God moving. God, I pray that you would work on their heart and bring them to faith. And have them repent and turn from their sins and trust Christ and live that glory that you give, that freedom from guilt and that hope for eternity. I pray that you would give us the strength as a church to build on your word, to continue to preach your word and lift your holy name. In your name I pray, amen. Hey, let's give it up for Joe. Great job, Joe. Everybody loves Joe. I love Joe. He's such, got such a great heart for the Lord and loves him and, and um, just so glad he's part of our team. And Hey, speaking of uh, being a part, uh, last Sunday we gave you an opportunity to really find your spot uh, here at Lake Point Church, whether it be serving uh, and small groups. And if you miss an opportunity, we have an easy way for you to do that. You can go to our, our website, lakepointonline.com, and uh, you can go to forward slash my spot. And just type in the words, my spot, and then you can fill out a form. It gives you some information, uh, opportunities where you can serve, and then ask you some questions on help, uh, helping to find a small group. Uh, we have small groups that meet uh, Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, Wednesday nights, and, and other places and, and uh, locations and times. So we encourage you to find your spot here at Lake Point Church. Now, guys, uh, listen up. This is for you men. Um, and for you ladies too, but specifically for the men. Men, we have designed an easy way for you to do Valentine's. So Valentine's is coming up. Okay, two weeks from today is Valentine's. Okay, guys? So you need to, you need to be ready. But I'm telling you, we've got it easy for you. Okay, the ladies will love this. So we are having a date night, Valentine's date night. And, uh, um, and so uh, all you got to do is sign up. Now, the cost is $50. Now, that's for both of you. Now, you're not going to go to a nice round. I mean, you, you go to Crystal's and get, eat cheaper than that. But if you go to Crystal's, uh, I, I guarantee you I have to do some marriage counseling or couple counseling because of that. But you want to make sure that you um, uh, sign up, $50 a couple. And uh, we have uh, reserved a, a restaurant. So it's just, just, just going to be our group. And uh, it's going to be John and Mitchell Smokehouse here in Cartersville. And we have reserved that place. And uh, so you won't have to stand in line. And um, it's going to be a buffet meal. It's going to be great. And there's going to be dessert and uh, a little bit of slow dancing. Okay? All right? So uh, I know the ladies would like that as well. So that's going to be uh, Valentine's. And you can sign up easily by just going to our website and go to um, events. And just go there and sign up. There's a form you can actually pay. You can either pay now or you can pay uh, closer to uh, the night. And that's not a problem. Also, men, we have a men's prayer breakfast this coming Saturday. Right here at San Angelo's at uh, Lake Point Station. 9 o'clock, uh, pancake breakfast. 
and we're going to have some time of prayer. We have a guest speaker who's just going to speak just for a few minutes uh, on, on just guy stuff and, and walk with the Lord. And so that is this coming Saturday morning, 9 o'clock at San Angelo's. They, are, they don't open until 12, and so uh, they're going to um, uh, come in early and fix some breakfast. And so you want to make sure you're part of that. You can sign up on our website under events, lakepointonline.com events. Please sign that up for that. Uh, tonight, students, middle school and high school, you have a, you have a student hangout tonight at 6 o'clock at Yogli Mowgli here at Lake Point Station, so you don't uh, want to miss that. And also, finally, uh, our church turns eight years old uh, on February 10th. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're still a child, right? But it's good. Uh, so eight years old, and um, we are having a birthday celebration fellowship, and that is going to be on February the 10th. So not this Wednesday, but the following Wednesday, we're going to have cake and all kinds of stuff and a great fellowship. And then uh, after that, we're going to have a time of, of a small group and have our small groups and our kids and our youth to do that. But I want to encourage you to be a part of that. Uh, a great time of fellowship as we celebrate. Uh, and you don't want to miss next week as we close out the Essential Series. I'll be preaching a great message on why you are essential. Let me tell you what. You need to hear this message. And so I'd invite you to come back. Make sure you're here or watch online. And for those who are here, we get the awesome privilege of stacking these chairs 10 high. Love you guys. See you all next week.